And as we've gone through the first three, um, they've, you know, they've been written by David, Psalm 1, 2, and 3. But as you read them, uh, well, especially 1 and 2, it, there's, it's not really got a personal feel from David, like uh, as, as we think of some of the Psalms. Um, we got into uh, Psalm 3, and there was definitely more of uh, that personality, that personal connection to David. Um, and verse 4 seems to uh, give us a little bit more, uh, maybe not so much about current situation with David, but you'll notice at the beginning of, before verse 1, you see the title of the psalm, To the Choir Master with Stringed Instruments, A Psalm of David. And so this was written as basically a hymn uh, for Israel. And so there, it, it's not as uh, pinpointed as Psalm 1, 2, and 3 are, uh, but sort of has, uh, has a broad, broader range, um, goes from sort of one topic to the next. And perhaps as we go through it, we'll see some connection. But the psalm begins with, in verse 1, the topic of prayer. And so, for the sake of not not wanting to go too fast and think about um, prayer, especially as we see it uh, from David and the psalms, uh, just kind of... Ease our way through verse 1, and then let that lead us into a time of prayer uh, together as a body. Um, let's, but let's read the whole psalm, and then we'll take a closer look at verse 1. Psalm 4, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall you, or how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. Just a quick prayer. Father, show us your truth in this psalm. Help us to see who you are for us who you are regardless of us and our need for you at all times. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so yeah, verse 1, straight to the topic of prayer. Uh, He begins by making the statement, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Now we talked this morning, um, if you remember, about... The imperative um, verb, where an imperative verb is a command. You know, we said, go clean your room. 
right? We're, we're giving a command. Well, the way that David writes this, he writes an imperative verb. Answer me. Uh, almost as if he's commanding God to answer him. Uh, but what we see is, what, I mean, is, is David, does he, does he feel like he has the right to, to demand God to answer him? Um, you know, he's kind of get like, David, come on, how dare you? But what, what, what I think we really see here is not David commanded, commanding, but David declaring a truth about God. Um, now you you go throughout Scripture, and I didn't didn't have time to to find a few of these places, but there are always places in Scripture where a man of God is reminding God something about God, whether it be a promise or his character. Now God doesn't forget who He is, and He doesn't forget His promises. We know this. We understand this. But we see Moses. I believe Abraham and even David making a statement almost as if to command God to either be who he says he is or do what he says he would do. And I don't think it's a matter of showing authority or disrespect to God, but it's actually a matter of declaring the truth that they believe about God. Right? And so prayer begins with knowledge of who God is and then a believing and trusting in who he is and what he says he would do. David's declaring a true reality about God. And what is that? What is that? I, I want to show you a few verses that, so, that sort of back up or sh- maybe have maybe could even show the reality of David's understanding about why he can declare, answer me, God. All right, uh, let's. I got a few things here. Let's begin in Proverbs 15. And we're going to go. I got a few Proverbs, then to John, James, and then back to Psalms. Because I want you to see this reality about God that is known by saints, that's known by the people of God. Proverbs 15. And you can actually see this all throughout Psalms, but I kind of wanted to stay out of that and stay out of Psalms a little bit because we'll be coming back to it constantly as we walk through it. Proverbs 15, beginning in verse 8. So why why would David be so bold to declare, "Answer me, O God"? Psalm 15, or sorry, Proverbs 15, verse 8. Uh, not verse 8. Verse 29. Oh, wow. I'm in Proverbs 8. That's why I'm confused here. Sorry. It's been... Yeah. Yes. Verse 8. Proverbs 15, verse 8, and then 29. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer... Of the upright is acceptable to him. So the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. So who wrote that? David's son. Right? Where do you think he learned that? All right? So understand this. 
he's saying that the Lord the Lord accepts the prayers of those who are upright. And you're like, what is upright? Well, the opposite of the beginning of the verse, the wicked. Now look at verse 29. Same same pattern, just declaring it again in a few different words. Verse 29 of Proverbs 15. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. So that's truth that David is banking on. That's truth that leads David to say and declare, answer me, O God, when I call. That's also truth about God that you can bank on as well. That as you live your life, you find yourself in whatever situation, you can Rely on God because He answers, He hears His righteous, the upright. Um, now, go to John chapter 9. Now, this was, this was one of those verses where you, you see it out of context and you think, do, do I remember that being in there? But then once I got to it and I read it, the lights went off a little bit. John 9. Jesus is having... Uh, sorry, not Jesus. Jesus has healed the, the man born blind. And basically has got... Uh, the Pharisees all up in an uproar. Um, they're interrogating the blind man. Now the man who can see. And John 9... Verse uh, 30. In speaking about Jesus, he says, The man answered, the blind man now can see, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. Speaking about Jesus. And here's the Pharisees. Their, their truth that they speak as they seek to actually condemn Jesus. We know that God does not listen to sinners. Sound familiar? But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to him. See, even the Pharisees have it ingrained in their mind that the Lord answers the righteous. That the Lord hears the upright. Even in their twisted way of proclaiming it against Jesus, they know because they know the they know the Old Testament. They know of how God answers and responds to his saints. Now, go to James. James chapter five, all the way towards the end, past Hebrews. Sorry, I'm, I'm belaboring a point here. Verse 16. 
James 5, verse 16. Now notice the pairing that we see in verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So that's in the context of someone being sick. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Why? Because God hears the righteous. Now, what? What? Defi- how did they... Uh, what would be an act of a righteous person? Verse 16. Those who confess their sin. So again, just hammering the point that God hears His people. God hears the righteous. There is power in the righteous person's prayer because God stands behind it. God answers it. God hears it. All right, now as we make our way back to Psalm 4, stop at Psalm 34. Verse 15. Psalm 34, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears towards their cry. David makes this imperative statement Answer me when I call, O God. And why does he do it? Because he knows that God listens. He knows that God hears him. What a privilege we have as Christians. And how for granted we take it. Very much know that from experience. Mm. I promise. Amen. Amen. So he cries it. Now, as we've said all that, is David presumptuous or arrogant enough to say, God hears me because I'm upright? God answers me because I'm righteous. Well, look what he says. Look how he finishes this statement. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Um, the NASB has a has a translation note, and it says, "Who maintains my right or my righteousness?" So we have to understand something here. If you read through the Psalms, you read you read the Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't matter. You understand that the only being that is righteous is God. 
And if we just and we want to just think about what that word is, it just in its most basic sense means right, correct, straight, fair, ju- like um, true. And that, what then? That's what it's, it's going to imagine. Imagine an angle, or uh, you're building something, and you need it to be right. You need it to be true. Not even our construction that we do can we get perfectly right and true. Right? We might think we've got the best 90 degree angle, but we don't. There's nothing righteous, right, true, fair, and just but God. Okay? And that's why David says, O God of my righteousness. David is not presumptuous in thinking that he is righteous, but he understands that if there is anything right in him, it is main it is given and maintained by God. Um, just to help you kind of think about that word, especially as you see it in the in the Old Testament, the word righteous, it's translated in many different ways. Um, justice, just, fair. There's a lot of ways it's translated. But what helped me think through it, so I kind of used the, the 90 degree, the, the, the carpentry illustration. But there's also the illustration that the Bible uses many times about righteous or just weights and measures. So back in the day, you didn't have a cash register with money in it. You had a scale with weights to weigh out your dealings. Okay? And, you, and God demanded of Israel that they have righteous measures and righteous scales, meaning, or righteous weights. So if it said 10, 10 whatever, it actually weighed 10 of whatever that was. But also the, the measure itself, the, the, the scale itself, was in balance. It was just it was fair. It was righteous. Right? And now why would God command that of Israel? Because that's who he is. And that's his people. Right? That, that whole concept of follow, imitating. Uh, God's people are to be like God. Even how they do their business. How they weigh and measure uh, all of their goods. And so that, that sort of helped me think about the idea that God as righteous is always right, fair, and just. He's true. He's, he, he, what, however you can sort of think about that, is, it's very helpful. Um, let me just read one verse from 119. I'll, I'll, you don't have to turn there. I'll just shout it out for you. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. If you go and read Psalm 119, you will see that Hebrew word referenced to many times. So even God's testimonies, his laws, his precepts are right, good, true, just, fair. Everything about Yahweh is righteous. So... David understands the truth about God answering the call of the righteous. He understands that his righteousness of in itself is held on and maintained, supplied by him 
who that is righteous, God. Okay, now, moving on to the next sentence. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. So, we see that Paul, or I'm sorry, we see that David has a knowledge of God, right? He understands how God works. He understands the promises of God. But he's also experienced them, right? He's experienced the mercy and the grace of God. You have given me relief when I was in distress. I want, we got to understand those two words, relief and distress, a little bit. Because I want, I want you to hear these two words and then think about all the things you and I don't pray about when this distress is present and relief is possible. So distress in this Hebrew word means to be closed, to be tightened, okay? And then relief means to be in to be wide open, unconstrained. So think about a king who's always in King David, who's always got somebody after him, okay? He finds himself sort of claustrophobic, surrounded, always kind of having to watch as if everyone's trying to close in on him. That's the distress of his life. And the Lord hears his prayer and brings relief and sort of opens up the world around him. Why? Because, as we spoke about this morning, David knows that God is his strength, his refuge, his fortress. Um, there's one reference, same same word in, in 119. Again, it's not attributed to David, but you'd have to think it's pretty close considering how much they're, how much similar his psalms are. In 119, he makes this statement in verse 45. And I shall walk in a wide or relieved place, for I have sought your precepts. That is a man who says, I can walk down a wide... Like, if you're, if you're feeling like you're in danger and things are closing in around you, they've got people coming after you, you're going you're gonna to feel like you've got to walk in, in tight corners and be very careful. But David says, God is with me so greatly that I can walk in wide open spaces and not fear and have relief. I can have relief. So there's that physical aspect of relief, we think, or or even the the spiritual of closing in around us. But then I want you to think about anxiety. Think about those two words when it comes to anxiousness. What happens when you're anxious? Distress. Tighten up. Right? But then when relief comes, you loosen up. Even your breathing, you mean just your 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 chest, distress and tight. Why? Because you're carrying things on your own as opposed to seeking relief from the Lord. Right. And so he's felt this. He's he's experienced 
this from the Lord. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Uh, you, that, that word relief can also be translated liberty in the Greek or in the Hebrew. Liberty, freedom, right? Freedom. So Paul, uh, David can, can, David can uh, connect his crying out to the Lord with freedom. And all of us are bound by so many different things, held down, burdened. We cry out to the Lord, and he can free us from those things and bring relief. Okay. And we move on to the last sentence in verse 1. And we'll stop here and go into a time of prayer after we uh, think through a little bit of this. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So that word gracious means to have pity or to show favor. Um, Or it can be... It could be defined from the perspective of him, the person that's seeking grace or favor. One who seeks it by bending a knee to a superior, to, uh, um, to a superior. Uh, you consider, it made me think about um, Esther as she went into the, the king's room seeking favor, grace from the king that he might not put her to death for coming in unannounced. And so Paul or David, man, I keep saying Paul. David understands. David understands that number one, his his status as righteous in view of God is based on this pity and favor. The, the, the answer that he is promised is based on his righteousness. Even his righteousness is a gift that's been given to him. God has shown him favor and is maintaining him through that favor. And so he, verse 1, almost as if commands God to answer him. But then in ver- at the end of verse 1, ask the Lord, hear my prayer. He's asking in a posture of needing the grace of God. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And another thing we, we see here, and we have to understand, is God is not bound to grant us anything. No favor. He, he's not bound to show favor to anyone. Um, well, let me say that. He shows, he, he's bound to show favor to someone who deserves it. You show me that person. There's only been one, right? There's only been one. And so we, we receive... We receive favor through him who earned it, right? Jesus Christ. 
So God does not, he's not bound to grant favor to anyone who does not deserve it. If God was bound to give favor or grace to those who did not deserve it, then what would that do to the, the reality of grace? It would, it would mean nothing. It would mean nothing. That's when, you know, then Paul picks that up in, in the New Testament epistles, declaring grace as a gift. Um, so just as we finish up, some foundational aspects of prayer for us to consider. Uh, we've, we've mentioned a couple. Number one, knowing God. Knowing God, who He is, what He's done, and what He has promised is crucial into... If you met someone on the street and you knew... Or no, I'm sorry. If you met someone on the street and you did not... Let's say you, you just... Um, something happened and you lost all your money. And you can't pay your mortgage. And you meet somebody on the street and they happen to be carrying the exact amount of money that you need in their pocket to cover your mortgage. Well, if you don't know them and you don't know who they are or what they have in their pocket, then they could just come up to you and they are no good to you. They're no gift to you. Right? And so we have to understand that everything we need, God has. But if you're unaware of that that. If you're unaware of what God has for you in Jesus Christ, then you are incapable of asking for it. So you must know him. You must know who he is, what he's done, and what he's promised. And what's the easiest way to know that? It's by seeking him in his word. And it's also good to know yourself. Well, we all know ourselves, I would say. Maybe to be honest about ourselves. That's probably the best bet, right? Because you might know that that guy's got the right amount of money in his pocket for your mortgage, and you're in denial that you need that money. And so knowing God, but then also being honest about ourselves, just just FYI, the sledgehammer is just hitting me in the back of the head right now. Just very much needed for me today um number three so knowing basically number three is believing god so it's not just enough to know who god is what he has promised and what he could do but you must trust in that that's the only way you can go to prayer and number three uh this I think it's crucial that you understand that it is only in his kindness that he even listens and hears and gives. And so maybe that's understanding that prayer has to be in a posture of humility. So knowing, believing, and humbling ourselves and knowing our need. Uh, Perhaps things we could consider this week. Let me just make 
one reference to Hebrews about our Lord and his relationship with prayer. If you go if you do a Google search and type in Jesus in prayer and find, you know, 29 verses about Jesus praying. Go and just read it. And read through it. And then maybe go and find the verse and then see the context. Because it's interesting if you go and you look at the context of Jesus finding himself in isolation for prayer, typically something big has happened around that time. Either he's making decisions like choosing a disciples or is about to walk on water or go or he's in the garden of Gethsemane about to get arrested. There's always seems to be, you know, there always seems to be probably some even Jesus felt distress. Right? Even he felt distressed. If you don't believe me, read about him in the garden. Right? And so he sought that relief with his father through prayer. And typically prayer in isolation. But Hebrews 5 says this. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. So the same truth that David knew, Jesus knew and applied in prayer. That God will hear and answer the worshiper, the righteous, the upright, the reverent. And so let's not forget forget that. If the Son of God needed prayer, how much more do we need prayer? And that's because we're in much desperate need for the Lord. All right, that's all I had there on Psalm verse 4, verse 1. And Lord willing, uh, we come back next week and maybe get a little bit further in Psalm 4. Uh, beginning in verse 2. But uh, with that, um, I want to take take some time in our prayer. Uh, I've got a few things, the things we prayed about this morning, as well as a couple others. Um, we'll hear of any requests. But before we do that, I want us to spend some time in prayer individually, on your own. Uh, keep two things in mind. Acknowledge your need of God, of His grace, of your dependency. Meditate on it in prayer. And number two, as you think through that, ask the Lord to help you to be honest with yourself. What are your needs? Are you discouraged? Are you overwhelmed? Are you in a season of unbelief? Are you in a season of uncertainty? Or perhaps a season of fear? Discouragement, overwhelmed, unbelief, uncertainty, fear. These are all things. I guarantee you I could find a psalm from David where he considers these things. So don't be afraid to be honest about your shortcomings in your prayer. That's why we pray. Okay? So, take a few minutes to acknowledge your need, but then ask the Lord to help you see perhaps what season of life you're in and where you need to find relief. What, Where you are distressed, uh, where you are tightened 
down, and then uh, we'll um, we'll come back together and speak about a few of these requests. So please take take some time and do this.